'Twas the month of December, and throughout every store, every sign, window, shelf, and display shouted more. More gifts for the kids and more gifts for the spouse. More gifts filling up every room in the house. My wife rolled her eyes, and I'm sure mine rolled too, as we walked past the mountains of iPads and Wii U's. But what if more isn't as bad as we thought? What if more isn't just about the things we bought? I say three cheers for more. More sharing, more hugs, more kindness to strangers, more joy, less humbug. Because the status quo is boring and it needs a big shift. Let's make this the year of 100,000 gifts. Well, good morning. It's good to see you today. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now. Uh, on the internet or an offset site campus or warehouse chapel, wherever you happen to be, we're, we're glad that you guys are along also. Hey, did you see the story this week of, uh, that went viral just a couple of days ago? Um, apparently, uh, New York City uh, cop in Times Square uh, saw a group of people hassling a homeless guy. And he went over and at cold night, and the guy didn't have shoes or socks, and the cop said he had blisters on his feet, just really, really huge. And so he took a look at him, and he turned and he ran to uh, a shoe store, Skechers, I think, in, in Times Square, bought a pair of shoes and some socks, uh, came back to the guy, knelt down beside him, and said, hey, I, I, I bought some size 12 boots, hope they fit, and I want to help you put them on. Merry Christmas. And uh, the, the homeless guy just lit up, said his, it just changed his world, rocked his world said over and over and over again, God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. Well, the cop wasn't doing it, you know, so anybody would see him. But on Times Square, you ever been to Times Square? Everybody has a camera. How many of you know that? And there was, there was a lady that stopped and took the picture. We have the picture. And this picture went viral. She posted it on Facebook. It had, I don't know how many shares, but it had uh, over 330,000 likes, 20,000 uh, comments. How many of you have that normally on your Facebook account? And it, it just resonated. It hit something inside. They interviewed the cop later, and he said, you know, I, I didn't even think about it, but if the story helps somebody to do something kinder, something nicer in the season, I'll sleep well at night. And we, and we hear a story like that, and we go, that's how it should be. That's how it should be. An incredible act of kindness that uh, just, just randomly, actually, that impacted somebody's life. Well, we're starting a brand new series uh, for the, the Christmas season that we're calling 100,000 Gifts. And uh, we're going to do four weeks. Um, next week we're going to, uh, actually for the whole series, we're going to talk about the gifts that God gives to us, kind of reflective of the Christmas season, and then how we can pass them on, how we can use them and pass them on. Um, next week we're going to talk a little bit about God's gift of miracles, God's gift of healing. And you can't read the Christmas story without seeing miracles. Are they real? What do people think about them today? And then uh, how, how we can pray for miracles. And we have got some stories that it, it's just going to blow your mind. Some things that have happened right here, documented things where uh, God apparently stepped in and intervened. And so that's next week. Uh, third week, we're going to talk about the gift of blessing. And we're going to do something that we, that just crazy. We're going to do it together. We've never done anything like this before. Crazy. So we want you to be here. Crazy in a good way, I think. On the, on the third week. And then the final week um, is, uh, is actually going to be Christmas, Christmas Eve weekend. We're going to do Christmas Eve services on Saturday, 
Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and uh, we're going to talk about God's gift to us. So we'd love for you to be a part of it. This week, what I want to do uh, to kind of get the Christmas season um, kind of ingrained in us, I want to read the Christmas account, the most familiar one from the book of Luke, and then I want to tell an amazing story that's rooted in this passage about um, a wonderful act of kindness and how it impacted people's life. So if you have a Bible or a PDA or, or an outline sheet or you can look at it up on the screen, I want you to follow along as I read Luke chapter 2 and verse 1. It says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. And so Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Now, I've been a pastor for a long time, and everybody knows the Christmas story. And so I've done a lot of messages, you know, on the various characters of the Christmas story. And I've used verse 8 many times to speak about, you know, either the shepherds, you know the story, shepherds were there with their, with their flock and they were watching over them. And, and then what happened? An angel came and it scared them. And the angel, you know, kind of calmed them down and said, hey, everything's cool. Go to Bethlehem. There's a Savior that's born. Done a lot of messages. I've even done messages on the sheep uh, in the field. This week I'm going to do something I have never done. And I'm going to talk about the field, okay? I'm going to talk about the field. So let me tell you a story about the field. One day there was a man named Elimelech who may very well have owned that field. If he didn't own the field, he owned one nearby. You could walk to it or perhaps see it. But years before these shepherds were there that night with their sheep, there was a local famine in Bethlehem. Things were bad. Continued for a period of time. And... Uh, Elimelech uh, sells his field and he leaves Bethlehem and takes his small family just a few miles away to Moab. Now Moab is just across the Dead Sea and it's a traditional enemy of Israel. But this man is so desperate to feed his family that he sells everything that he has and he moves there. Now his two sons marry local girls, local Moabite girls, and shortly after that, we don't know what the situation was, but Elimelech and his two sons die, leaving his wife Naomi and his two daughter-in-laws destitute. Um, at, over a period of time, his wife Naomi hears that things are better in Bethlehem, that it, there's rain there, there may be work there. And she decides rather than st starving in Moab, she's going to go back to Bethlehem. So she gathers her daughter-in-laws and she has a very sad, very poignant family meeting where she tells them 
I'm releasing you. You no longer have responsibility for me. I want you to go back to your homeland, and I want you to remarry. You're young. I want you to have a life. I'm going to go back to Bethlehem. I'll be all right. So she offers them an act of kindness by releasing them to go. One of them goes and the other one stays. And her name is Ruth. And there's this incredible story in the book of Ruth of the conversation that she has with her mother-in-law where she says, no, I'm not leaving. I love you. I'll be with you always. Your people will be my people. Your ways will be my ways. Wherever you go, I'm going to go. And so she offers Naomi an act of kindness. So they, they, they go uh, to Bethlehem, and when they're there, they, they have no work. And so Ruth goes out in order to survive, and she gleans a field. How many of you have ever gleaned a field? One person has gleaned a field. Well, I'm going to tell you what that means, because most of you don't have kind of that deal. During those, the, during those days, it, they operated under the law of Moses, and uh, God had required if you were a landholder and you grew crops, that during the harvest time, uh, you could, your laborers could only make one pass through the field to get to, to harvest whatever you harvest. And they would always miss some stuff, and they would drop some stuff. And what God commanded his people, he said, I care for the widows and the destitute. And so I want you to leave the field so that they can come behind you and glean whatever is left. It's kind of like when you, when you have a, a pet dog and you have small kids and they're not as neat as they should be during the meal, uh, you leave some of it on the floor for the dog. You understand that? I mean, I don't, don't compare widows and dead. That's a really a bad illustration, okay? It just, just is. So... So Naomi and Ruth qualify as both, both widows and destitute. So she goes out to glean after the harvesters in a field of a wealthy landowner named Boaz. Boaz sees her, takes notice of her for whatever reason, and he says to his laborers something interesting. He says, here's what I want you to do. You know the law of gleaning, and it's okay for her to do that. But I want you to take handfuls of grain and throw them out on purpose. Handfuls of on purpose, so that she'll have more than enough. And so she does, and she's amazed, and she runs into Boaz one day, and she asks him why he's being so kind. And we've got a record of that in Ruth 2 and verse 10. It says, Ruth fell at his feet, thanked him warmly. Why are you being so kind to me, she asked. I'm only a foreigner. Yes, I know, Boaz replied, but I also know about the love and kindness you have shown to your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. Apparently, someone had posted something on Facebook <laughs> that had gone viral, and Boaz had seen it and understood kind of what was going on. I have heard how you left your father and your mother and your land to live here among complete strangers. He says, may the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wing you have come, take refuge May he reward you fully. And so it's incredible. That's the nature of God, to reward acts of kindness. And so, and so Ruth goes home. She tells Naomi. They're all excited about this. And then the plot quickly thickens because Naomi remembers that Boaz is a relative of her dearly departed husband. Now, in order to understand what happens next in this story, you've got to understand two more Jewish laws. 
okay? The first one is the law of redemption. The law of redemption. Say that together. Law of redemption, okay? When we sell something, if I was to sell something to you, um, we transfer title uh, fee simple. Uh, Simply means this. If if you have a car and you want to sell it, you put your junker on Craigslist and you wait for a sucker who will pay your price, right? That's kind of how, how that works. If you're a Christian, you tell them just about everything you know that's wrong with it, all right? And so somebody comes and they say, okay, I'll give you some cash for that. So they either write a check or they give you cash. And what do you do? You take the title. If the bank owns the title, you have to take the money they gave you, go to the bank, pay for it. Whatever's left, you get. You take the title. If you own it, you just take the title. And you sign the back of it and you give it to them, right? Fee simple. It's theirs now. Usually you do it as is. You have no claim to it ever. Same with a house. You sell a house, you negotiate a deal, sell it, and it's gone. The title is is gone, it belongs to somebody else. Well, that was not the case in Israel. In Israel, when Joshua was ruling, when they came into the promised land, Joshua divided up the land between the tribes. He said, okay, this tribe gets this, this tribe gets this, this tribe gets this. And it was to remain in the tribe or in the family forever. That's why genealogies are so important. You ever read the Bible and see a genealogy and go, oh, no, another one of these. Skim. Okay, right to the next part. Well, the reason for genealogies oftentimes was to declare titleship or who owned what. All right? So if you sold something, it was only for a period of time. In fact, it would be more like a lease in our terms. Uh, because if you sold, so if somebody had to sell something like Elimelech did uh, because they're in a bad place or whatever, uh, the person who bought it knows that, um, that, that the longest they'll ever own it is 49 years because there was this concept called the year of Jubilee that every 50 years, whatever, it, no matter how bad you screwed up your finances, it all came back to you. How do you think that is a great idea for right now? <laughs> and so n- not only that, but every time you sold something, there was an agreement that if one of your kinsmen wanted to redeem the land, which means to buy it back so that it becomes a part of the family again, here's a price agreed to up front that they can do that, all right? So, so do you got that? So that's the law of redemption. Now, the other uh, concept that you need to understand is the law of leveret marriage. Say that together. The law of leveret marriage. You're going to learn some things today that you never, ever knew and can probably never use again. Okay, here we go. This is an unusual provision to provide for the continuation of the family in the case of the death of a husband. If a widow has no son and her husband dies, she could request that the next of kin, often a brother, but not always, take her in make her a wife, um, give her a son, and raise up that son to actually be the son of the brother or the one who died so that the family name would go on uh, uh, longer than just uh, that, that amount of time. So th- those are the two laws. So here, here's the deal. So Naomi realizes that Boaz... This guy who had done kindness to Ruth um, is a relative of her deceased husband. 
So she recognizes an opportunity to recover family land that's been sold 10 years before if she can get a kinsman redeemer to redeem it. And also an opportunity for Ruth to have a better life. That Ruth could go to this guy, offer to marry him, he could have a child with, with her that would extend the family name of her husband. And so, and so Naomi plots this little deal. She brings Ruth in. She says, we're going to plot a seduction. She says, I want you to take a bath. Now, they didn't take baths that often back in the day, all right? She says, I want you to take a bath. We're going to get you smelling good. I got some perfume. You would not believe it's going to be great. And so she, she gets her dolled up, and she says, you go find Boaz. So Ruth runs to find Boaz, and she finds him asleep on a threshing floor. How many of you currently own a threshing floor? I'm going to have to explain. In agrarian society, they would grow wheat. And a threshing floor was a, um, I, I saw one when I was in Israel. It's just simply a high piece of land or a piece of land where the wind blows. Okay? So what they would do during harvest time, they would harvest the wheat, and then they would take it and they would grind it together so they'd get the seeds, but with the seeds they'd also get the chaff or the, the stuff that you don't want to eat. And, and what they would do is they would take it to the grinding floor, or to the threshing floor, where there's a wind, and they'd throw it up in the air, and theoretically, the wheat weighs more than the chaff, and so you would have two piles. The wheat would blow just a little bit and pile up here, and the chaff would blow a little bit further. Okay, so that's what a threshing floor was. And since harvest is the time when they made all their money, uh, it was a great time. I mean, it was, they'd have a party every night, and the owner of the field, would they, they'd go eat and probably have some adult, adult beverages, two or three or maybe ten. And they would come back, and they would sleep at the threshing floor to keep robbers from coming and taking their, their stuff. Do you understand that? So that's what Boaz was doing. He's asleep after a long night of, of partying, on the threshing floor. And Ruth finds him there, and she lays down beside him, and she uncovers his feet. Now, a lot of you know what that means. That's when Debbie rolls over in bed and takes the blanket and does this, it uncovers my feet, and I'm irritated because the air conditioning's blowing. I was sleeping. Everything was fine. Now I'm awake. Boaz wakes up. And he goes, who are you and what are you doing here? And in verse 9 of chapter 3, she says, I am your servant Ruth. I think she says that, I'm your servant Ruth. And she says, okay, slow down. Spread the cor corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. And Boaz is going, ding, 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 ding. This could be my lucky day. And what Ruth is doing is she is asking Boaz to put the authority of his household as a covering over hers. She's invoking her right under the laws of Israel for him to take her as a wife and to give her a son and to raise him. So she's invoking Le Leverett Law. Now, Boaz evidently thought she was pretty nice, and he was very excited to accommodate her. In fact, in that culture, he didn't go, need to go get engaged, let's go have, um, you know, a wedding ceremony or whatever. They could consummate the, the, the marriage, and then the next day they could just say, say to everybody, we're husband and wife. And so that's kind of the situation that we walk into, but there remained an obstacle to overcome. Have you know, 
that in a good story, there's always tension. And how do you know in a good love story, there's always another guy? Okay, there was another guy. Here was the deal. Boaz remembers that, uh, or as he's thinking about it, that there is a kinsman, there's a relative that's closer than him that has first legal right to Ruth and to redeem the land. Now he has a decision to make. Do I do the right thing or do I just pretend like I don't know that and do whatever I'm going to do? I'm a rich enough guy, I can do what I want to do. He decides to do the right thing. He says, I'm going to get up early tomorrow. I'm going to go to the city gates, and I will give him the opportunity, and we'll see uh, where it goes. And so he confronts the nearer kinsman the next day. Apparently, the guy was willing to take the land and redeem it, but he was hesitant to add another wife for whatever reason. And under the law, he could refuse it. If you read the story, they have a little ceremony. Boaz takes his shoe, and she spits at him. It's kind of a, a, a cultural thing. So... In the end, Boaz gets the girl, Ruth gains a husband and has a son, Naomi gets her land back, becomes a grandmother, her grandson becomes the great-grandfather of the greatest king that Israel has ever known, King David. That is, greatest, that is, until another relative was born a few hundred years later in that same little town of Bethlehem announced by angels to shepherds watching their sheep on a cold winter's night on a piece of land with a lot of history to it. I'll bet you didn't know that. So what can we learn from that? Let me give you three, quick, three really quick lessons from that. First one's not as quick as the last two. Here's the first thing you can learn, is you can change a person's story with a simple act of kindness. You can change a person's story with a simple act of kindness. When Boaz told his workers not, to not only allow Ruth to glean but to drop handfuls on purpose. He was embodying a Jewish principle. In fact, it's one of the three foundations of Judaism. It's called hesed, H-E-S-E-D, hesed. And it means loving kindness. But it means more than that. It means more than that. It means this. In fact, the definition would be one who is faithful to the covenant and who goes above and beyond that which is normally required. So what was the covenant? The covenant was, you got to leave stuff on your field. You don't have to do it on purpose, but anything you can't collect together, and I'll guarantee you, they had systems to collect as much as they could. You had to leave some for the poor, okay? That's not loving kindness. That's just obeying the law. Hesed meant, Hesed was when he said, let's take handfuls on purpose and give it to this destitute widow. Let's take handfuls on purpose. and give. That's an act of Hesed, an act of kindness, um, when you demonstrate above and beyond, above and beyond loving kindness, you can change a person's story. So we've seen in this story, Naomi did it with, uh, with Ruth by releasing her to go, and it changed her story. Ruth did it with Naomi by saying, I'm not going, I'm staying with you. And so now Ruth had a companion, and it changed her story. Boaz offered it to Ruth, and it changed her story, changed her life. God offered it to their family, and it changes their story. They become a significant family. So when you demonstrate above and beyond loving kindness, you can change a person's story. I want you to, to see a video of an example of that. You know how sometimes it feels like life just happens? You know, just random things seem to fill your day. 
things with little or no consequence to anyone else. I mean, I know God's in control of my life, but I never really saw how much he was weaving my story with other people's stories and really into his story. Well, that's all changed. It was a cold day, the kind where you really don't want to have some long conversation outside with someone, especially with someone you don't really know. But that's exactly what God had in mind. Amy and I had just eaten lunch at Dumplin's downtown Franklin, and we were walking to the car and we see this couple that I thought I recognized from church. It would have been awkward just to walk by them and not say anything, so we stopped and said hey and did the whole, yeah, yeah, you guys go to fellowship thing, whatever. Well, we start talking and the whole Dave Ramsey thing comes up. They asked us where we were in the process, and I told them that so far we paid off 60000 but still had $10,000 left to go. They asked us what we would do when we were debt-free, and I laughed and told them, well, I told my kids I'd buy them a trampoline, what we really wanted to adopt, and we committed to being debt-free before we did. The whole conversation only lasted about three minutes. It was like, nice to meet you. That was random. Well, the next day, that random person shows up at my office with this brand new trampoline. I couldn't believe it. It was like, my kids are going to freak. I set it up that night, and my kids jumped on that thing for four hours. I mean, we didn't even know these people. They didn't have to do that. I mean, really, that's pretty generous. Well, the next day, I get an email from the same lady saying, Oh, you guys seem like a sharp couple, and we'd love to come by and talk to you about something. I emailed her back and said, That sounds like a multi-level marketing proposal. And if it was, we really weren't interested. Of course, she says it's not that sort of deal, but she was really persistent. She even called Amy. Amy had been sick, and it really wasn't a great time to have company over. Our house is a wreck, and we didn't feel like picking it up. We said everything short of, please don't come over to my house. So they show up, and I'm like, here we go. Let's get this over with. Don't say yes to anything. I couldn't believe they sunk their claws into us with that trampoline to get us involved in some pyramid scheme. Anyway, so we small talked for about five minutes, and then right when I thought they were about to drop the bomb, they did. But it wasn't the bomb I was expecting. So the lady says, well, we told you we'd only be a few minutes, and I really don't know how to say this, but we want to pay off your $10,000 left in debt so you guys can adopt. She pulls out her checkbook and goes, how do you spell your guys' names? What? Are you kidding me? Are you for real? I mean, who does that? Who writes somebody a check for $10,000 and gives it to people they don't even know? So they give us a check and they said, just don't act weird around us at church and just don't tell anybody it was us. And they drove off. I mean, Amy and I stood there for 10 minutes in total shock. And we cried and we screamed and we ran all over the yard and the house. Unbelievable. I mean, seriously, it was beyond belief. We realized nine months later when we brought Malaya home, the check they wrote us was dated nine months prior to Malaya's due date. They gave us that money right about the time our daughter was conceived. It was like God was saying, I have a baby out there for you right now. I'm not waiting around another two years for you to pay off that debt. We felt called to adopt, but we simply couldn't afford to do it on our own. We found that this random couple had already adopted four children and felt a calling to continue to serve through adoption. Rather than bringing more children into their home, they decided to help others adopt. It 
didn't just happen. It wasn't random at all. God knew his plan. He had just invited us to walk with him through this process. He was weaving our callings, our stories together for us to love and to care for each other, to make a beautiful tapestry for his glory. Thank you, Jesus. Isn't that kind of cool? So here's the big idea for the series. What if we all did that? I mean, what if, what if, maybe we can't, you know, do 10 grand, just slip a check to somebody. Some of us could, some of you could. Uh, but what, what if, here was my idea. I'm sitting here thinking, what, what, what can we do this Christmas season? We have a big church. We have approximately 15,000 people that call this their church home. And let's say 10 to 12,000 attend on a weekend. What, let's take the lower number, 10,000. What if all 10,000 of us were to say, God, we want to be used this Christmas season in Hesed, above and beyond acts of loving kindness? Do you think that would make a difference in our community? You think that would make a difference in the story? Especially when you think you're praying about it and you have no idea what God is setting up what God is setting up. All you're doing is saying, yes, I'm going to be used by God. Well, you say, well, what can I do? I, I don't know. I can give $10,000. Well, that's why we have a, this on your, on your chair. What I did is I asked our staff about a month ago when I thought about doing this series, I said, why don't you guys think up 101 ideas uh, of, of gifts that we could provide? There's things like bring dinner to a neighbor, buy a stranger coffee, or hot chocolate, buy some gift certificates and give them out, build a ramp for people with wheelchairs, go through and just read it. In fact, I'd challenge you to read it every day or two just to stimulate, you know, ideas and stimulate a mindset toward that. And so I said, how many could we do? Well, if everybody, and then as I was thinking, if everybody, nobody, everybody never does anything. I mean, there's always a Scrooge in the crowd. How many of you know that? There's probably two or three on the row that you're in right there. So I divided it in half. And I said, what if half of us actually did it? What if 5,000 of us committed for the next 23 days between now and Christmas every day to do just one act of kindness? One has said, one above and beyond, trusting that God would use it in his plan because trusting that he already knows what he's doing and that he's just using us to be a part of it. And maybe it would change 100,000 stories potentially. If 5,000 of us did one thing every day, it would change the story. Then I thought, wouldn't it be cool if we could know how that was going? So I asked the staff to put together a website, and I want to show it to you. So here it is. And I'll punch on that. Uh, it's at 100kgifts.com. And basically, it's a website talking about what we're doing. And up here, uh, what is 100K Gifts? That's just a little note from me that kind of explains what I'm telling you today. Um, right here, 101 Ideas PDF, and that is the paper that you just got, okay? So it's on the website. Let's go back to uh, 100K GIFs. Let's go back to the main page here. And right now, we have 15 GIFs. I'll tell you about that in just a minute. Let's move up a little bit. Okay, so um, help us add to the number above. Report your GIF below. And so there's a place to report what you're doing. 
And you can put your first name, last name, email, how many gifts did you give. And then if you want to briefly tell about your gift-giving experience, and do this regularly, not just once, but every day or every couple of days or maybe a couple, three times a day. And you say, but doesn't the Bible say, don't let the left hand know what the right hand is doing? Yes, it does. That's a different concept. But if it bothers you, just put a fake name in here. Not a problem, okay? And then uh, what campus, there's the Asheville campus or whatever campus that you want, you submit it. And when you submit it, it does this, and it tells you thank you, and it'll send you an email that reminds you and, and says thank you uh, for doing it. And then we'll return to the web page. And here we are at the web page. And then uh, down here, and I won't go through this whole thing, but there's a place uh, for people who've received gifts. What we did was we made little cards. They, they say on one side of them, 100,000 gifts. Uh, share your story at 100,000gifts.com or 100k.com. And then on the back it says, this is a simple way to say that God loves you. And so if you want to, you could give these out. You could give them to somebody that you did something for or just give them to a friend and say, hey, why don't you join us in this whole process of making a difference and, uh, of kindness uh, in the community. And then down at the bottom of the page, uh, there is a Twitter feed that if you use the hashtag, if you know anything about this, great. If you don't, don't worry about it. Uh, hashtag 100K gifts, and it'll show up in the, in the Twitter feed. Now let's go back up to the, yeah, you thought this was a touch screen until they didn't follow along there, didn't you? Okay, and then... And so it records, <laughs> oh man, what a bummer. It records and tallies the gifts. Every time, that, every time that you say, hey, I did this, it will give a number. Now, what your story won't show up anywhere except for we might use them anonymously during the series just to go, hey, here's, here's something that's going on. That will help us during the series. So as you can see, we are only 99,000. 985 acts of kindness away from our goal of 100,000. Give yourself a hand. Will you do that right now? All right, good. Now, I also know that we tend to forget. How do you get excited about something right now and forget it tomorrow? Anybody else like that? So here's what we're going to do. As you leave this morning, we are giving you at every campus a candy bar. And it says a hundred grand bar, okay? Here's what I want you to do with that. Don't, don't wait. When you get out in the foyer, just do this and open it up like this and take it out and eat it, okay, like this. Then what I want you to do, and excuse me for a moment, probably with my mouth full, but this is important. Take the wrapper, put it in your pocket so that, keep it in your pocket for 23 days. Some of you may wear different jeans, you know, <laughs> and I would advise that, but... Before you wash them, take this out, put it in your pocket. And what it does when you put your hand in your pocket, I would do it in my left hand because I'm left-handed. When you put your hand in your pocket, you feel this thing and it reminds you, oh, yeah, I'm on mission. Does that make sense? Yeah. I'm on mission. How of you will join me on mission during this, during this season? Okay. All right. We're going to do it. We're going to do it and we're going to allow God to use us to change the story, because you can change a story with a simple act of kindness. Okay, here's a second lesson, not nearly as long, and that's this. Sometimes, in your journey of kindness, you will be tempted by shortcuts that can complicate your story. You will be tempted by shortcuts that can complicate your story. In Boaz's case, the shortcut was a sexual shortcut, okay? He, uh, Ruth is there. He's tempted. She's available. Nobody will know. Technically, he didn't need to wait for his ceremony to be married, but if he would have gone ahead 
and submitted to temptation in that night, there would have been a stain on his name and a complication to his story. People would have figured out. You always think nobody knows, but somebody would have said, you know what, he's not the closest relative to uh, redeem that land. He just wanted her. And there would have been a stain on Ruth's name. And so what he does is rather than to submit to the temptation, he decides to trust God. That God in his wisdom, when he created the law the way that he did, that he had his best interest in mind, that God is the one that goes hased on everything, that God always acts with loving kindness. Therefore, there must be a reason for me to do what I'm doing and do it the right way, even if I don't understand. And even if my heart goes, I really want this to happen. How could this be wrong when it feels so right? Then he went, wrote a song about that that was played, discovered and played several years later. Some of you are struggling with the same temptation that he is. You know what God's word says in this area of your life. You know. You know. And yet you say, well, that's old-fashioned. Our culture's different. We love each other. We don't necessarily need to be married. Can I, can I, can I tell you this? Um, God loves you regardless. But you're going to complicate your story. When you do things differently than God's plan and desire, it always complicates the story. How many of you could use less complication in your life right now? Okay. And it may not just be a sexual temptation. It could be a financial shortcut or a business shortcut. When you choose to trust God and do it the right way, it simplifies the story and multiplies the rewards. So what are the lessons? A simple act of kindness can change a person's story. Along the way, you may be tempted to take a shortcut that complicates your story. Let me give you one last lesson. If you will accept his act of kindness, God can write a better ending to your story. God can write a better ending to your story. You look at the characters in the story that that I just told you. Naomi enters Bethlehem. She enters Bethlehem. How does she enter Bethlehem? As a destitute widow. And as a result of God's kindness, because he orchestrated the thing, as a result of God's said, the story ends with her not destitute, but being a fulfilled grandmother. Ruth enters Bethlehem, a destitute, widowed, childless outcast. She's a foreigner. And as a result of God's said, God's loving kindness, her story's different. She's the ancestress to the house of David. Mary and Joseph, a few hundred years after the story that I just told you, they enter Bethlehem, homeless and confused. And as a result of the hesed of God, the kindness of God, their story ends as the parents of the Messiah. So here's the question I want to leave you with today. How are you entering Bethlehem? Bethlehem being a type of the Christmas season. How are you entering Bethlehem? Bethlehem this year. Some of us may be entering Bethlehem the Christmas season in a good place like Boaz. Things are going well. Things are going right. We're prospering in every area or at least most areas. And what I would say to you is celebrate that. But I also would challenge you to do as Boaz did and internalize said. I would challenge you to look around and go overboard looking for ways that you can go above and beyond what's required with loving kindness and see if God doesn't work in your life.
Others of us, as we enter Bethlehem this Christmas, you enter discouraged. Maybe it's been a tough year for you or a tough couple of years and, and uh, financially it's been rough and with your family it's been rough. And maybe you never would have dreamed just a few months ago or years ago that your story would have the storyline that you have right now. Or maybe it's grief and you, you enter Bethlehem grieving. Just a couple of weeks ago I um, just popped in on a meeting of our grief share group here that they were doing and just a bunch of wonderful people, and, and, and the discussion was this, how we survive the holidays. Because there are some of you who are entering Bethlehem this year in a place you never thought you would be, at least not this soon. A loved one has died, and you're left to deal. And you're not looking toward the holidays because it brings up such memories. And that's your story as you enter Bethlehem. For some of you, you enter Bethlehem ashamed. Because you've taken shortcuts, whatever they happen to be. They may be sexually, they may be financially, and you are publicly now paying the consequences. Not everybody does, but some people do. And maybe that's you, and you understand, and, and you feel like, how could I have been so foolish? And you enter Bethlehem ashamed. Boaz is a type of Jesus. So we read that Old Testament story, we see God in Boaz. And Boaz redeemed Naomi from a mortgage that she couldn't pay. She couldn't afford to get her land back. She was helpless. It was a good place to be because Boaz came in and he said, I'll be your redeemer. Boaz is a type of Christ. Jesus came for each one of us. And there's a mortgage we can't pay. It may be a mortgage of grief. It may be a mortgage of debt. It may be a mortgage of sin. And Jesus says, you know what? If you'll trust me with it, if you'll trust me with it, I'll pay your debt and I'll change your story. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for stories that amplify truth. And today, God, we, we desire to be a people that's kind. God, I pray that you would take kindness in our church to a whole nother level. And that you would multiply the results of the acts of kindness that we commit ourselves to this weekend. God, I also pray that you would show kindness to our hearts. Lord, those that feel like they're without hope, or those who are grieving, that they would remember that you said that you would, you would be the hope to the hopeless. That when one of your people grieve and when, when one of your people are hurting, that you come alongside. That's when the great shepherd comes and holds in. Father, I pray during this season that our eyes would be focused not so much on what we've lost, but our eyes would also be focused on evidence of you and evidence of your care, evidence of your kindness. God, I pray that you would do that miraculously, that we would see your kindness around us. God, for those of us who maybe have fallen into um, patterns that we, can't, we feel like we can't get out of, that we would reach to you today as a kind father and as a sense of hope. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.